Did you miss me? Yeah. Well, good. I was afraid I was going to ask that, and you was going to like, well, did you go somewhere? <laughs> I did miss you. And <clears throat> any time that we're not here, it's just not the same. Uh, we went down. My grandson was baptized last uh, Sunday. The very first grandchild to be baptized, so we wanted to be there for that. And uh, we enjoyed their worship service, but there's no place like home. CVAG, I love our church, and we just have such a great spirit here, and uh, got a great love for God and the presence of God here. It's just different. I've been in a lot of different places, and it's just different. I, I love what we have here. We have tried over the years to be culturally relevant and uh, trendy and try to be on the cutting edge of what God is doing and try to stay up with the times, uh, because I've been in churches that kind of got caught in time warps. You ever been in one of those? You know, they're still stuck back in the 50s tonight, and um, it doesn't really reach the younger generation. So we try to do that, but today I want to talk about something that even though we try to be culturally relevant and trendy and all of that, if we miss this, we miss the whole picture of what we're trying to accomplish. Today I'm beginning a series on uh, a predominant theme that's found in Scripture, um, it's something that is critically important it's, uh, to our characteristic of our Christian experience. It's also something that I have found grossly lacking in the modern day Christian experience. It's a central theme that has been a part of God's design throughout all of biblical history. It was a great and dominant theme of our forefathers of the faith. The theme that I'm speaking of is the fear of God. Church, if you don't have the fear of God, you're missing the whole picture. It was said of our forefathers, they would refer to them as he is a God-fearing man. You ever heard that? He's a God-fearing man. And that's how they identified people of the faith. They're God-fearing people. A famous, a famous Baptist preacher said, quote, The fear of God is the very soul of godliness, Old and New Testament. Take away the soul, all that is left is a stinking carcass. Take away the fear of God from any expression of godliness, and all that is left is the stinking carcass of Phariseeism. Religious tradition, pharisaical spirit. The fear of God is something we find 150 to 175 times mentioned specifically in Scripture. And hundreds of other references that's uh, alluding to the fear of God. That is something that's completely, I think, overlooked in many modern day churches today. And we see that reflected in the conduct of both the leaders and the parishioners in the church. Because some of the things that we see going on in churches today clearly indicates to me they have no fear of God. When Jean and I were first uh, married, w very young Christians, there wasn't a lot of Christian TV or Christian radio around in those days. And they came out with a program called the PTL Club. Anybody ever heard of the PTL Club? Remember back in those days? Jim and Tammy Baker. Anybody ever heard of them? You go to the PTL and you get a T-shirt and it had big eyes like here and big red lipsticks that I ran into Tammy Faye <laughs> at PTL. Because she always wore this big eye makeup and these big lips and stuff, you know. And when he started out, they had a fear of God. 
And if you know the story, they, they put in a big water theme park. And I told Jeannie the day they put it in, I said, if they talk about putting that in, I said, if they put that in, the glory of God will leave that place. And it did. They fell into all kinds of different temptations. And Jim, they were both unfaithful to each other and a lot of different things. And he wound up having to go to prison over embezzlement and stuff. And he was in prison. And John Bevere, who wrote a book called The Fear of God, does a lot of teaching on this subject. I'm not taking my notes from his teaching, but he does a lot of teaching on that. He went to see Jim in prison. And he asked him, he said, Jim, when did you stop loving God, man? He said, John, I never stopped loving God. He said, I stopped fearing him. Fear of God is critical, church. So today I'm going to simply establish the predominance of this theme as we find it in Scripture. I'm going to read a lot of Scripture. I'm not going to really expound on it much, but I'm just going to show you. We're, we're literally going to go from Genesis to Revelation and show you the predominance of this theme as a central theme of the Christian experience. Let's pray. Father, I just I need you this morning, Lord, to open the, the, the illumination of your word, God, so that we can see the deep, deep truth of what is central in your scripture and how important it is to the body of Christ. And if we lose this, then, God, we cannot expect your favor. So, God, I pray that you would just open our hearts, God, open my mind and, and, and my spirit, God, that I can hear clearly from you, Lord, that we can uh, share your truth this morning, Lord, without compromise, without apology, Lord, without error. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Um, what I'm going to do this morning, I'm just going to go through the Scripture and show you the predominance of this in Scripture. Next week, Lord willing, I'm going to show you the meaning of the fear of the Lord. And then we're going to follow that up with how we should apply that in our own life. Genesis chapter 31 to begin with. Verse 42, it says, unless God, uh, unless the God of my father, the God of Abraham and the fear of Isaac had been with me, surely now you would have sent me away Empty-handed, God has seen my afflictions and the labor of my hands and rebuked you last night. Then Laban said to Jacob, here is this heap and here is this pillow, which I have placed between you and me. This heap is a witness and this pillar is a witness that I not pass beyond this heap to you and you not pass beyond this heap to the pillar to me for harm. And the God of Abraham, the God of Nahor, the God of their fathers judged between us. And Jacob swore by the fear. You see, that's a capital F. By the fear of his father, Isaac. Now in the Bible, God is identified by his names. He is Jehovah Jireh, he is Jehovah Rapha, he is Jehovah Shalom, God my peace. All these different names describe who God is. But one of the very first references of God, he describes himself by being called the fear of Abraham. The God of Abraham, the fear of Abraham, the fear of Isaac. So out of the different many names that he could have chosen, he chose to describe himself as the fear of Abraham. Now, if our apprehension of God and our comprehension of God does not lead me to fear him, then we have not clearly understood who he is. God is not my buddy. Saw a t-shirt, heard about a t-shirt, I didn't actually see it, that said, Jesus is my homeboy. 
No, Jesus is not my homeboy. He is the God of glory. He's the king of glory. The reason I think uh, Amanda got so emotional this morning, she's singing that you would leave your throne because the, releva- the revelation and the reality of that, God, all of the splendor of all of the thrones on earth doesn't even begin to compare to the throne of God. And he left that to come to earth. That's the God I'm talking about. He's not my buddy and he's not my homeboy. He's, he's the God of glory. To be feared. When Jethro, the father-in-law of Moses, was telling him, Moses, if you keep trying to judge all the people, you're going to kill yourself. You need to share the load between those that that's, uh, can help you. And he starts uh, describing the requirements of these men in Exodus chapter 18. He says, moreover, you should select from all the people, able men, such as fear God. Men of truth, hating covetous, and place such over them to be rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, and rulers of tens. Out of all the requirements that could have been thought of, the very first thing that he says they must have is a fear of God. Then we move on, and he's giving the commandments. He's on the Mount Sinai. It's quaking. Lightning is flashing. The people fall back with fear and says, we will not go and face God. Moses, you go and face him. And he goes upon the mountain to get the commandments. And it says in Exodus 20, verse 20, and Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you and that his fear may be before you so that you may not sin. Church, if we've got the fear of God on our life, we're not going to yield to temptation to sin, period. Are you hearing me, church? And so when I see the conduct of church leaders today and people, parishioners sitting in the pew throughout the church world, it is obvious to me they do not fear God. Because if you fear God, you will not sin. The parallel scripture to that is found in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 9. Only take heed to yourself and diligently keep yourself, lest you forget the things your eyes have seen, unless you depart from your heart all the days of your life and teach them to your children and your grandchildren, especially concerning the day you stood before the Lord, your God in Horab. He's talking about when the commandments was given on the mountain. When the Lord said to me, gather the people to me, and I will let them hear my words that they may learn to fear me. The whole reason he brought them to the mountain was to teach them to fear him. All the days they live on the earth and that they may teach their children the same thing. The whole reason he gave this was to teach them the fear of God. God later on describes the character of Job as a man that feared God. And in Job chapter 1, it says, This man, it says, There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, and one who feared God and shunned evil. 
Then in verse 8 it says, Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil? Verse 9, So Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for nothing? In other words, what he was saying is, All you say that he fears you, but really he has another motive other than your glory. Does he really fear you? Nah. He only fears you because you bless him. He's got another motive. He's only serving you because of what you gave him. And then you read the whole story of Job, and it tells the story vindicating God for what he had said about Job. Got to the point all of his friends is coming and saying, turn your back on God. His wife says, curse God and die. And he said, woman, you talk like a fool. God gives and God takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Why? Because he feared God. There are hundreds of references that we could turn to in the Old Testament. But today I just want to choose a few. We can't go through all of them, certainly. To show you the centrality of the theme of this is in the Bible. That is, we should fear God. Let's go to the prophets. Actually, it's a prophetic word spoken in Psalm chapter 2 by David. We don't see him as a prophet, but this is a prophetic word. It's actually talking about Jesus. Psalm chapter 2 is a reference to Jesus. It says, why do the nations rage? Why do the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. Now, who's it talking about? His anointed. It's talking about Jesus, all right? Saying, let us break their bonds in peace and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. (laughs) The Lord shall hold them in derision. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king. You notice that's a capital K. He's talking about Jesus again. I have set my king on my holy hill in Zion, I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you, ask of me and I will give you the nations for an inheritance to the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break forth with a rod of iron, you shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore be wise, O little K-I-N-G, little kings, be instructed, you judges of the earth, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. What is he saying? The only right response to serving the appointed king, Jesus Christ, is to serve him in fear. Do you see this, church? Are you with me? Now, it concerns me when I see Christians show disrespect to God. God's not our buddy. He's not our homeboy. (laughs) That's that's disrespectful to God. And and, and in our attempt to be culturally relevant, to be cutting edge, to be trendy, to be cool, we have to be cautious that we don't lose the fear of God. Are you hearing me, church? There was an article in Charisma Magazine that cool is not cool. And I don't remember if it was on the fear of the Lord, but I just remember that phrase, cool is not cool. 
Because a lot of churches, it's all about being cool, you know. If we can just get the right worship team, we can get the right pastor, and he's got the pistol-legged britches on and his T-shirt, two sizes too small, and his hair all spiked up, wire rim glasses and looking cool, then we're going to be, man, we're going to get it. It's going to be right. You know, we're going to play the right song that everybody knows. This is the first song. Everybody knows this song. And then we're going to play the song that nobody knows, a new song, you know. And then we're going to play the last song. And it's, we do all this stuff trying to be cool. And there's nothing wrong with those things, I guess, I, although I can't spike my hair. <laughs> and I'm not wearing pistol-legged britches, brother. I'm going to tell you, that's just, and a shirt, I'm just not going there. You're just going to have to have a, a dull pastor, I guess. But if you do all those things and you lose the fear of God, church, you're walking on some dangerous ground. Psalms chapter 5, verse 7, it says, But as for me, I will come into your house in the multitude of your mercy in fear of you. I will worship towards your holy temple. In fear of you, I will worship towards your holy temple. I believe we experience that when we worship in here on Sunday. We worship God in a reverent, God, you're awesome. Respectfully. Amen? Amen. There is no separation of the mercy of God and the fear of God. True worship that ushers in the abundance of mercy is given in the climate of godly fear. John Bevere, he did, I did hear him tell this story one time. He went to Brazil, and he was flying down there, and he was late getting into the service because he, he arrived late, and there was some traffic or something. And when he came in, they were already worshiping. And so the worship team, and I can't remember the specifics, but the worship team, they were playing modern, up-to-date worship-type music. But said he noticed the people in the sanctuary. One of them was texting on the phone, and he noticed some other people just talking over here and all this different conversation and different things was going on during the time of worship. And he said, when I walked in there, I didn't sense one ounce of God's presence. Finally, he said, they introduced me as the guest speaker. I got up and he said for the, for about 45 to 60 seconds, I stood in silence and just looked at them. He said, that will get the attention of people. They put their phones down. They stopped talking. They're like, what is he waiting for? And he said, when I came in, I noticed this and this and this and this, and there was not one ounce of God's presence here because you do not fear God. And he said, when he said that, the presence of God came into that place like a wave and people began to weep. And it just, it was a huge gathering. They began to weep. He said this happened in three different waves. And he said that the, the last one will be different. So they began to worship God in, in the fear of the Lord. I, I remember a great move of God. I won't name it, but it was a great move of God. I remember going there and the presence of God was unlike anything I had ever experienced. When I walked into this place, I'm sitting in the pew, and I've got my, my arms on the pew in front of me, and I wasn't being disrespectful. I couldn't stand up. And it felt honestly like something on my back pushing me down. And I'm trying to, I'm loving it. It's not a bad thing. It's not a bad, I don't get a bad feeling, but 
I can't stand up. And I sense this is God. I don't understand it, but this is God. I didn't find out until later that the glory of God, the kabod, is the weightiness of the Lord. Said when the glory of God came into the temple, that the priest couldn't even enter the temple because of his glory. When Jesus, they came to arrest him in the garden, he said, I am he. They fell to the ground like dead men because of a glimpse of his glory. And I remember going to that church. It's, I went to, on three different occasions, and the presence of God was there. And there was such a respect and an awe and a, just a, a hunger and an intensity to be in God's presence and to worship him. The last time I went there, I went for a conference with a, a person that worked out of that church. I wasn't there really for the church or for the church service. The pastor had left at this time. They had a new pastor. It's a whole new theme. And Jeannie and I went and we sat in the balcony where we had sat before, experiencing the glory and the presence of God. And we sat there and I'm watching one of the ushers during worship go through her Walmart receipts. And other people coming in and conversing and talking. And you know Jeannie, she's a seer, literally. She sees things in the spirit. And she's standing there, and what she saw in the spirit were dogs come running out of all the doorways and running up and down the aisles. And people putting leashes on them and leading them around. And I remember her saying, who let the dogs out? And I said, what? And she said, Bernie, I just... And she told me what she saw. And the lady doing her receipts looked around at her like, we got a weirdo in here, you know. Because she said it loud enough for her to hear it, you know. There's a scripture that talks about God wrote Ichabod on the church. The glory has departed. They no longer feared God. And I didn't sense one ounce of the presence there. True worship is ushered into the abundance of God's mercy in the climate of godly fear. Psalms chapter 62 verse 1. God be merciful to us and bless us. How many of you want God's mercy and his blessing in your life? Amen. Amen. And cause his face to shine upon us. Verse 2. That your way may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. Now, what will usher in the results in the, of the gospel message going to all the nations? If you look on down at verse 7, he tells you, God shall bless us and all the ends of the earth shall fear him. The purpose of sal the salvation message that is carried by his people to the ends of the earth is to teach people the fear of God. This is a central issue, isn't it? In Scripture, Psalms chapter 72, verse 1. This is Solomon, a song of Solomon. He says, give the king, that's a little K, give the king your judgment, O God, and your righteousness to the king's son. He will judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. The mountains will bring forth peace to the people and the little hills by righteousness. He will bring justice to the poor of the people he will save the children of the needy, and he will break in pieces the oppressor. They shall fear you. They shall fear you as long as the sun and moon endure throughout all generations. 
Also in Psalms chapter 103, David is writing. He says, for as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards all men. Is that what he says? Great is his mercy towards all men. Because that's a common belief among Christian people. God is merciful. God is merciful. God's not merciful to all people. In fact, God's wrath will be poured out on some people. He didn't say his mercy was towards all people. His mercy is towards those who fear him. Verse 12 says, as far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgressions from us. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. For he knows our fame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass, as a flower of the field, so they flourish. For the wind passes over and it is gone, and its place remembers it no more. How many of you remember your great-great-great-grandfather? You don't even know who he is. And if Jesus tarries, you will be forgotten. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to his children's children. So those who fear the Lord are referred to as his children. So what if you don't fear the Lord? If you don't have the fear of God, the question that pops into my mind is, are they really his children? They don't have a fear of God. Let's move forward on into Proverbs. Solomon is starting the beginning of the book of Proverbs. And in the very first chapter, the very first six verses, he tells you, this is why I'm writing all of these Proverbs. Let's read it. Verse 1, he says, the proverb of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, judgment, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, to the young man, knowledge and discretion. How many of you believe we could use some discretion in the world these days? Amen. Come on, somebody. We could use some discretion. <laughs> A wise man will hear and increase learning. And a man of understanding will attain wise counsel. To understand a proverb and an enigma, the words of the wise and their riddles. Verse 7, he gives the very first proverb in the book of Proverbs. I want you to see what it says. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction the beginning of the, the fear of the lord is the beginning of knowledge in other words it's the chief part of knowledge who's the smartest person in this room it's not me i'm gonna tell you don't look this way <laughs> hillary graff she's a school teacher all right she's probably a smart person she wouldn't be teaching school if she wasn't a smart person right Mike was going to be a sixth, he was going to be a, a math teacher in school, right? This guy's a walking calculator. He knows numbers. But no matter who the most intelligent person in this room is, no matter what vocabulary they might have, they may read, read books that's got words this long. They all started with A, B, C, 
D E F G. They all started with one, two, three, four. We all learn the same basic things to move on to greater learning, right? It's the central part of our higher education. Without that, you can't have the other. And church, I submit to you this morning, without the fear of God, you will never learn the things of God. Not really. You may know a lot of scripture. You may be able to quote a lot of scripture. But you will never really know the wisdom, the worship, the mercy, the pity, the judgment, the justice, and equity of God without his fear. You cannot learn the things of God without fearing God. Ecclesiastes, are you still with me? I don't have a watch, so I don't know how long I'm going. But I'm trying to go as fast as I can. I got a few more. Are you still there? Yes. Ecclesiastes. Now, this is a man that went down every path trying to find the meaning of life. Once he had gone down every path, what he had learned that everything leads to vanity and vexation of soul. And he finally concluded in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. That's the conclusion of it all. After he's researched everything to give me the meaning of life, this is the conclusion. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether it's good or evil. The sum of the totality of man is to fear God. Isaiah 11. It says, there shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse. That's talking about Jesus. Jesse was the father of David. Jesus was born the seed of David. Amen. Are you with me? Say amen. amen. And a branch shall grow out of his root. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and might. The spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. Will rest upon Jesus. His delight is in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears. In other words, even Jesus didn't look around and make his own conclusion about anything. He didn't listen to what was going on and make a conclusion about what he heard. His delight was in the fear of God. Met a young lady at the lock-in the other night. She came in. She was invited by a friend. She comes up. She wasn't really dressed appropriate. She was using profanity. She was trying to either repel me or impress. I don't know what she was trying to do. She was a little bit flirtatious in her presentation. I was not moved by what I heard nor by what I saw. Are you hearing me, church? My heart was breaking for her. She says, I'm an atheist. And God says, no, she's not. She's angry at me. She's angry with me. Jesus didn't move by what he saw and heard. Moved by the fear of God. And we need to do the same thing. Jesus, the fear of God was given to him and it was sent forth from him. Jeremiah 
Expounding on the covenant that Jesus will bring as it's revealed in Hebrews 8 and 10, the new and living way. I want you to listen to what his virtues are going to be to this new covenant being brought to man. Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 38. They shall be my people and I will be their God. Then I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever. For the good of them and their children after them. And I will make the everlasting covenant with them and I will not turn away from doing them good. But I will put my fear in their hearts. That's that church. That's shouting ground right there. I don't know if you realize it or not. And before we get through with this, you're going to realize that's shouting ground right there. I'm going to put my fear in their hearts so that they will not depart from me. See, this morning, there's a good many of you that probably don't really understand the depth and the the length and the width and the height of what it means to fear God. Nevertheless, if you're truly a born-again child of God, the Spirit of God dwells in you, he put that fear in you. That's what he's saying. When he comes, he's going to put his fear in your heart. You may not know it. You may not understand it, but it will be there. Now, the last scripture in Old Testament, and I'm going to move on and get the New Testament out of the way, and we're going to go eat. Here we have a picture of God's coming in the final days when Messiah will come forth and judge all of his enemies and consume them. The same day, he will bring the glorification of his, of his children. Verse 1 of Malachi chapter 4, he says, For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven. And I don't know if y'all are getting anything out of this or not. But when I read this stuff, man, it just it explodes in me. I'm sorry if I sound preachy. But it's burning like an oven and all the proud. Yes, all who do wickedly will be stubble. And the day which is coming shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts. Man, I'm glad I'm on the winning side, brother. Whoo! That will leave them neither root nor branch. But to you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in his wings. And you shall go out and grow fat like a stalled calf. Oh, you ever seen a cow locked up in the stall and you just keep feeding that thing corn? We had one. I was going to try to kill it. It was a black Angus bull, and don't ever let your wife give it a name. Because if you do, you're going to have an 800-pound bull walking around that you can't slaughter. I wind up found I had to sell it to a guy because she wouldn't let me kill the thing. But I put that thing in the stall, started feeding it raw corn, and, buddy, it plumped up fast. Now, that's what he's talking about. You shall trample the wicked. Verse 3, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day that I this, I do this, says the Lord of hosts. Remember the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded him in Horeb, for all of Israel with the statutes and judgment. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of that great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers of the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. Oof. Man, that's good stuff. Now, in the New Testament, I'm going to rip through this real quick and let's get through. Because people look at this and they say, well, all of that was under the dark cloud of God's dread and harsh dealings with the people of the Old Testament. We're under a new covenant. Hallelujah. Man, we're under the glory and the joy and the love of God. Well, is that true? When Mary found out that she conceived a child with the Holy Spirit... A virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and we shall call his name Emmanuel. She goes to see her cousin Elizabeth, 
And when she's there, she breaks out into a song and begins to worship God. In Luke chapter 1, verse 49, a part of that song, she says this. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. Before Jesus was ever even born, it was declared that the fear of God would be on him. So did Jesus teach that his presence would throw off the fear and be replaced with joy? No, he did not. Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, Jesus said, Do not fear those who kill the body and cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both the soul and the body in hell. I say unto you, fear him. Fear God. Jesus didn't come to negate the fear of God. He came to enforce it. What is to be the dominant thought of the believer is I am I to love, show mercy, grace, kindness, benevolence, visit the sick and the widows and thereby have the favor of God. All those things are true. But church, I'm going to tell you something. You can do all those things. You can have all the trendy everything. But if you don't have the fear of God, you're missing the whole central theme of the word of God. We go on into the epistles in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Therefore, having this promise, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. You can't be holy without the fear of God. In the home, dealing with the family, the husbands, the wives, children, in school, in the marketplace, the attitude of the heart should be the fear of the Lord, as we find in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine in which is disputation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Give thanks always for all things to God, the Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Wives, submit to your own husband as unto the Lord, and husband loves your wives. We see in Ephesians 6, 1, children obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. In other words, all of the nitty-gritty of our Christian human interpersonal relationship is grounded in the fear of the Lord. Everybody with me? Look this way. You can't have the fear of God and mistreat each other. You can't have the fear of God and mistreat each other. What Megan said when she came up here this morning, that's a confirmation. You know, we love our children naturally. We have to choose to love our spouse. If you're not treating your spouse right, you don't have the fear of God. If you're not treating your boss right, people that you meet, strangers, right, you don't have the fear of God. On the job, Colossians chapter 3, 21, bond servants obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men believers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. The way you treat your boss, the way you do your job, well, he's not looking, he won't know that I'm taking an extra break. Maybe he's not. But you're not there to please men. You're there to please God. I learned this a long time ago. One of the things that marked my employment when I was a secular employee was Bernie works 
I would do the extra work. I would make sure that it was done extra good. I still try to work like that. I just, I'm, I'm doing it unto the Lord. Some people say, somebody came in a food bank the other day, and I'm down putting, I'm not bragging, but understand, this is because of the fear of God. I'm in there putting down flooring. And Rosa Brown came in. She says, well, every time I come in here, Pastor, you're working. I said, well, I can't preach, so I've got to do something to earn my keep around here. But it's not, I, mean, I, was, I was kidding. I, well, I can't preach, but I was doing that because that's just, that's just what you do. If you revere God and fear him, amen? So the summary of Corinthians, you cleanse yourself from all righteousness. Ephesians, dealing with the marketplace, the school, the home. Colossians, dealing with your boss. It all thunders, falls under the general heading of working out our salvation. We find in Philippians. Therefore, Philippians 2.12, My beloved, as you have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. In the modern day church, we sometimes see an expression of jubilant joy and praise. But I, I believe in many cases there's an absence of fear. We can be culturally irrelevant, trendy, and cutting edge, but do we fear God? We've heard from the Old Testament, from Jesus, from Paul, even Peter. He says the same thing in Peter 1.17. And if you call on the Father, which is without partiality, judges according to each one's work, conduct, your, conduct yourself throughout the time of your stay here in fear. I'm not going to read the rest of that. Let's move on. Throughout our sojourn in life, it should be spent with the fear of God. Now, I don't want you to put a meaning on what that means because, Lord willing, I'm going to tell you what the fear of the Lord is next week. Because I don't want you to go away here saying, boy, pastor said we're supposed to walk around cringing in fear before God like he's a big bully getting ready to beat me up. That's, I'm going to give you the meaning of it next week, all right? But let me just show you before we leave what the fear of God will offer you. Acts chapter 9, verse 31, Paul is gone and he's gone around establishing the churches and he says this, verse 31 of chapter 9, then the churches... Throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified. How many of you want peace in your life? How many of you want the edification of God in your life? And walked in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. See, we're looking for peace and edification from God. Fear God, live in His fear. The last two places of Revelation, the last two passages, I'm going to close. Revelation chapter 15, verse 1. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them the wrath of God is complete. And I saw something like a sea of glass mingled with fire, and those who have the victory over the beast and over his image and over his mark and over the number of his name, standing on the sea of glass, having harps of God. They sing the songs of Moses and the servants of God and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the saints. Who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. Out of all them, he said, who shall not fear you, God? Even in heaven, 
when we have our glorified body, we will still acknowledge you are revered and honored and to be seen in awe and wonder. You are to be feared, God, even in my glorified being. You're to be feared. Revelation 19, 1. After these things, I heard a loud voice and a great multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and honor and power belongs to you, Lord our God. The true and righteous are his judgments because he has judged the great harlot who corrupted the earth and who, with her fornication. And he hath avenged on her the blood of his servants shed by her. Again, they said, Hallelujah. Her smoke rises up forever and ever. And the twenty and four elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped him who sat on the throne, saying, Amen. Hallelujah. Then the voice came from the throne, saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, and those who fear him, both small and great. From the beginning in Genesis, all the way through to the glorified, resurrected body. The Bible shows us that we are to fear God. Three conclusions. To be con devoid of the fear of God is to be devoid of the truest form of biblical faith. Since Proverbs says that the fear of God is the beginning of knowledge, you cannot expect to grow in the knowledge of God without first having the spirit of the fear of God. The ABCs, the one, two, three, is the beginning of the chief part of learning. So fear of God is the beginning and the chief part of the true heavenly wisdom and knowledge. Jesus is the sum and the substance of our faith. And since the spirit of the fear of God was given to him and is sent out from him, to be without the fear of Christ is to be without the spirit of Christ. Are you hearing that, church? I don't want to run that past you. How many of you know what I just said? How many of you don't have a clue what I just said because you're sitting there thinking, I don't have a clue what he just said. I was thinking about something else. Thank you for that one honest hand. <laughs> so I'm going to read that last line one more time. To be without the fear of Christ is to be without the spirit of Christ. And according to Romans chapter 8 verse 9. Now if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. I'm not sure you can even be a Christian and not have the fear of God. Now, it's put in your heart. It should be there. It should keep us from sinning. But these people that are doing all this stuff and professing to be Christians, I don't think that, I don't see the fear of God. How could you do that? How could you do that and have the fear of God? Church, there's nobody in this church tempted more than myself. How many of you face temptations every day? I'm talking about you want to do stuff now. Your flesh wants to do it. But you don't. Why? And you think in your mind, well, if, I, if nobody would know, if I would never get caught, you still wouldn't do it. If you have the fear of God in your heart. Because he knows. He sees it all. He sees it all before it happens. It doesn't matter how sincere your praise or how much scripture you know and claim. It doesn't matter how many works you perform. In an age when the church is cool, if we lose the fear of God, we need not expect the favor of God. 
So we should study and pray, God, teach me what it means to fear you. Second conclusion, the measure of spiritual growth of any believer or any church and the favor that God will show them will be found in the measure to which a believer or a church is increasing in the fear of Christ. I'm going to read one more scripture. I lied to you. Well, I didn't lie. I forgot I had it. Nehemiah chapter 7 verse 1. Then it was when the walls were built and I had hung the doors when the gatekeepers and the singers and the Levites had been appointed that I gave the charge of Jerusalem to my brother Hananiah and Hananiah, the leader of the cathedral, for he was a faithful man and feared God more than many. If you want to increase in the kingdom of God, you have to fear God. The more you increase in the fear of the Lord, the more you increase in his favor on your life. The third conclusion, to be ignorant of the meaning of the fear of God is to be ignorant of the basic and essential doctrine of revealed Christian faith. Many people here are not strangers to the fear of God in your experience. Jeremiah states that the blessing of the new covenant, that God would plant the fear in our hearts. So we have it as an experience so you may have the fear of God in experience, but be limited in your understanding of the importance of knowing what the fear of God is. We are to grow in grace and in knowledge, church. Amen? We should then intelligently understand and grow in the fear of God. So next week, Lord willing, you pray for me that God don't hit me with a bolt of lightning or I get run over by a truck or something. And I'll be here next week, and I'm going to tell you what the fear of God is, the definition. Amen. Did you get anything out of that? You ought to, man. I've been yelling at you long enough. Praise God. <laughs> Stand up and let's go eat. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope you are blessed and encouraged by it. Central Virginia Assembly of God is located on 5052 Cross County Road, Mineral, Virginia, 23117. If you would like more information about the church, visit us at Central VAAG. Org, or call 804-514-2413. We would love to hear from you. God bless.